is good to have the opportunity to chat this morning. Uh, of, uh, as Joy has already said, my wife Pauline and myself are sort of semi-regulars here because part of my job involves going to a number of different churches. So if you don't see us, we're probably somewhere else. Like next week, I think we're in Mundaring. And I always enjoy the opportunity when I'm not speaking somewhere else to be at my home church. So here... And I thought, up until about 8 o'clock this morning, that I was going to come along and hear Luke as he continued in the the series, and I was looking forward to that, and then I got a call. So here I am. Uh, So I'm going to speak a a little bit about sunshine today, but I'm also uh, going to open the word, and we're going to talk together, uh, and we're going to talk about neighbourhood. And I want to start with that question, who is my neighbour? And I'm wondering particularly what your neighbourhood was like when you were growing up. Can you imagine it now, how it was? Because for me, I grew up in the suburb of Scarborough before no one could afford to live there. We were in this, um, well, three by two asbestos house that then became a four, no, three by one, I should say, then became a four by one. So there were five kids, mum and dad, seven of us, all with one toilet, one bathroom, because that's how it was back in the day. But neighbourhood looked very different. We had the Browns on one side, we had the Johnsons on the other. Across the road there were the Clays, there were the Greenfields, there there was a whole host of families and everyone knew each other. Uh, Of course we're coming up to closer to Christmas and I remember Christmas days where we would open our gifts and then run out into the streets and and all the kids would be comparing, I got this, I got this. And that was what neighbourhood looked like. And there was Mrs. Robinson up the street, and uh, she was a Christian, and she started inviting all the neighbours along to church. And in fact, she invited my mum along, and invited her along to Scarborough Baptist Church. That's where my mum got to know the Lord, and that's why I'm here. Because there was a neighbourhood that actually reached out to other people, and so mum brought us up in a Christian home. Uh, Dad was away a lot of the time. He was... Not fly in, fly out, that didn't exist. He was float out, um, float in, because uh, he worked on ships. But um, yeah, we, neighbourhood was kind of everything to us. We lived in that neighbourhood, kids playing with each other. If I got home from school and mum wasn't in the house, I knew that I could just go to one of the neighbours' houses and she's probably there having a cuppa, uh, or they were over at our place having a cuppa, and that's what neighbourhood looked like. Of course, things have changed, and we still need to grapple with what? does neighbourhood look like now? What does it mean for us? How do we actually serve our neighbours? How do we get on with our neighbours? And that's a little bit of what I want to talk to you about today. Because however neighbourhood looks, the scripture tells us that we have an opportunity and in fact a responsibility to reach out to those around us, to those who are our neighbours. And in fact, more than just to reach out to them, but to love them. So we're looking at a passage today where Jesus is questioned by the religious leaders and they're, they're actually trying to catch him out. But this is in Mark, it's 12, 28 to 34. And it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered, uh, yes, disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbour 
as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbour as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we see here that in this scripture, there's this idea of throwing everything we have at loving God. First and foremost, it's all about throwing everything we have at loving God. We, we love with heart, soul, mind, strength. And then we love our neighbours as we love ourselves. And it's really a distillation, a distilling down of the Ten Commandments. Because we see in the Ten Commandments, there are commandments about how we love and interact with God, and there are commandments about how we love and interact with our neighbour, and in fact with ourselves. And so this is right throughout Scripture, back to, to Old Testament times and all the way through, that this is not replacing any of the Ten Commandments. In fact, this is a summary of them. Throw everything you have at loving God, and then love your neighbour as you love yourself. So all ten come together in this instruction and when we realise that it's incredibly freeing because we no longer look at the ten commandments as this is an instruction and, and do this, don't do that, but rather how do we love God? How do we love our neighbour? Well, here's the understanding of it within the ten commandments. If we follow these, then we are loving God with everything and we are loving our neighbour as we love ourselves. But who... Who is this neighbour that we have to love as we love ourselves? That comes the next question. And what if my neighbour is difficult to love? Surely none of us have neighbours like that. <laughs> what if my neighbour is someone that I disagree with? What if my neighbour is different to me? What if my neighbour is even antagonistic toward me? Is that still the neighbour that I'm commanded in scripture to love? What if my neighbour says something on Facebook that I don't like? What am I to do with that? What if my neighbour is living a lifestyle that I think is wrong? How do I love that neighbour? How does love show itself in those situations? I read a rather challenging book a couple of years back, and I'm going to quote from it this morning a little. It's called The Art of Neighbouring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door. It's by Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. Uh, you can tell they're American because they forgot to put the O in the word neighbouring. But they actually say that the way that we take Jesus' command to love our neighbour as ourselves as simply a metaphor is, is missing the mark. Because often that's what it is. We talk about loving our neighbour and it's like, oh, let's have loving feelings for everyone. Let's just feel nice about everyone. And if we do that, they say we're actually missing the mark. Because if we do that, we're just metaphorically loving everyone. There's no intentionality. There's no what does this actually mean for me in action about that. So how do we bring it back to something that we're given the opportunity to do and have the responsibility to do? How do we do that? What does it mean for me in my deliberate actions towards my neighbours 
our neighbours that live right next door, right through to our neighbours that are the people that we interact with at work, maybe at the local shopping centre or wherever it is, whoever it is that God brings across our path. Where's the intentionality? And what if it does mean those people right next door? As I say, neighbourhood has changed and oftentimes we don't know the names of people around us. Now, I can name quite a number of the people in our street, but that doesn't mean that I have a close relationship with them. And so this message is a challenge to me as well. Now, here's a quote from that book that I find challenging but also helpful. They say, if we don't take Jesus' command literally, then we turn the great commandment into nothing more than a metaphor. We have a metaphoric love for our metaphoric neighbours and our communities are changed, but only metaphorically, of course. In other words, nothing changes. So we need to take note that, yes, our our neighbourhood does stretch far and wide, but we can't afford to ignore the neighbours that live just steps away from us. God has given us a role in seeing them understand that they are being called into to reconciliation with him. We know that loving God means spending time with him. We, we love God and we, part of showing that is that we gather here together. We, we do that. We, we read the scriptures through the week. We pray through the week. We give financially. These are all concrete things that we do which demonstrate our love for God. They're not trying to buy God's love. They're actually as an expression of our love for God. But they are concrete things that we do. We take these concrete actions. So if we're taking concrete actions to demonstrate the love that we have for our Heavenly Father, what are the concrete actions that we're taking to show that we have a love for our neighbour? In fact, a love that loves them like we love ourselves. So perhaps even more pointedly, the, the book poses the question... And this is a question I need to keep asking myself. Do I live at a pace that allows me to be available to those around me? And if not, are all the things that I'm doing more important than taking the great commandment literally? You see, we need to be intentional about loving our neighbours. We need to take steps, active, practical steps, to love those who are just a few steps away, next door, across the road in our workplace, wherever that might be. So what are the concrete ways? Well, firstly, we need to be present where they're present. And we see this in the scriptures. We see when Jesus walked this earth, he hung out with people. He went to parties, he hung out with people, so much so that he was criticised for it. And we read an account of that here in, in Luke. This is where Jesus is calling Matthew, or or Levi, as he's known at this point. And it says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees... And their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
In the book, The Art of Neighbouring, they make an interesting observation. They say that with the sort of people that would have been at Levi or Matthew's party, this was very unlikely to be a pizza and Mountain Dew kind of party. This was likely to be quite an over-the-top sort of party that they were having, this great feast that they were sharing together. And so it was likely to be kind of raucous and Jesus would have known that eating with these people would have sent out a signal because we know that if we're invited over to someone's place for dinner or we invite them over, it signifies that there's a bond and there's something special between the people that enjoy a meal together. Well, even more so in Jesus' time, it was a signal that there was a bond between people, that there was a deep friendship and Jesus would have known this and he's invited to go and eat at Levi's place and he goes there and it says in the scripture that there were these tax collectors and others that were there in other words these other people that were ripping off all their neighbors so they were all there and Jesus was there and it doesn't say and lo Jesus stood in the corner taking notes of their sins it doesn't say that in fact the scripture says they were there reclining at the table together there's this sense of familiarity There's this sense that they're spending time together, that there's this friendship growing. And Jesus would have known what signals this would have sent. I mean, we we look again at some of the other places where Jesus interacted with people. And we remember Zacchaeus who heard Jesus was coming through town and he just wanted to get a glimpse. He didn't want to interact with him. He knew that he was a person who was shunned by everyone because he was ripping everyone off. He climbs up a tree and he just wants to get a glance. And Jesus comes along and he says, "Uh, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to your place. I'm going to stay there. We're going to eat. Can you imagine the signals that that sent out to the people around? Because the other people in this crowd, and of course Zacchaeus climbs up the tree because there's a big crowd around and he knows he's a short guy, so he wants to get a good view. In other words, there's a lot of people and he's not going to see through the crowd unless he's up the tree. And all these people around, I imagine that there'd be a number of those people that Zacchaeus had ripped off. And along comes this great teacher that they all throng in to see and, oh, Jesus, he's wonderful. He's done this, he's done this. And Jesus says, I'm going to form a friendship with the guy that's been ripping you off. That's an incredible signal that it sends out to people. And yet Jesus says, yeah, we're going to your place. And what was the result? We see Zacchaeus has a life transformation. So much so, it's like, look, I'm paying everything back. Life has changed for me, and I'm going to make things different from here on. Jesus was calling him, not just because he wanted to hang out with him, but because he wanted to say, there is a better way. I want to call you into a relationship with myself. So... It's, it's rather incredible, isn't it? Because we tend to shy away from people that don't fit with who we are. We, we see people as outsiders. We see people as, oh, they're not the sorts of people that we want to be seen with. It might send the wrong signal. And we have to ask the question, who was it at this time that was making accusations at Jesus? The Pharisees and their scribes, it was the religious leaders who wanted to keep everything by the book, who just wanted to follow the law right down to the last letter. And they're the ones making an accusation. 
It's these religious leaders saying, oh, Jesus is going to all the wrong places. And I love in the scripture there, it says, so they, they started saying to the disciples, why do you do this? And Jesus answered, it's almost like he's there. It's like, I can answer for myself. And so there they are. There's, there's this accusation that there's a, a them and an us. We follow this strict moral code, which means that those of us that follow this, that's us. Anyone who doesn't fit within that, you're the them and we will avoid you. And in fact, we will, we will say that people shouldn't even associate with you. And can I say that if you're someone who has ever felt that, if you have ever felt this shunning by anyone within the church, that that is not Jesus' intent. He wants to hang out with you in order to reconcile you back to himself. He wants to welcome you in with open arms. He wants to see your life fully transformed, just as he did with Zacchaeus, just as he did with Matthew. He wants to hang out with you. Because we need to remember that we're simply told to love our neighbour as we love ourselves, not put it through some sort of matrix and work out, okay, who are the ones we should love and who are the ones we shouldn't. It's just love your neighbour as you love yourself. That's it. And in a time where there can be even greater, and I believe there's going to be further and further distance between what we as Christ followers believe and what the rest of the world believes, this is going to become even more critical. Are we prepared to be seen with those who are walking a different way in order to reconcile them to Jesus? Or do we say we cannot have any part to play with them and they can go? And of course, it doesn't mean that we minimise sin. That's always the thing that, that occupies people's minds. It's like, but they might think that we're endorsing sin and we're just endorsing a lifestyle. No, we don't minimise sin. Sin is a very real issue. We know that throughout scripture. If it wasn't a big issue, then Jesus wouldn't have died on our behalf. It's a big issue. We don't minimise it. But just because we see the sin of others, that doesn't mean we push them out. Because let's face it, they're going to see our sin too. They're going to see when we fall short. The difference is that we can point them to the one who died in our place to cancel our sin. We have been lovingly drawn to Jesus who was crucified, raised again from the dead and invites us to be reconciled to him. I love the way that Ray Pritchard puts it in his book, In the Shadow of the Cross. He says... Please don't be afraid to be a friend to someone who is living in sin. They need you more than those of us who are no longer in pain. Nobody wants to suffer like sinners suffer. They just need God and God must use us to reach them. They are spiritually blind and we have to help them see. To quote my favourite song, which seems so very appropriate and which in one sentence certainly sums up what has happened since I came to Christ, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He's saying that we've been reconciled to God and not because we're good. It's only the goodness of God. It's only through what he did. It's only through the sacrifice of Jesus that we're in the place that we are. We have no more claim to God's love than our unbelieving neighbours but they don't know about it yet. We want others to know this kind of love. We want others to be reconciled back to the Father through Jesus the Son. 
Ed Stetzer wrote in his book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, we don't see our own sin and need for a saviour and thus we place ourselves in the seat of judge and jury. That steals God's glory, robs us of joy and shipwrecks our mission to the world. Now that is disgusting. See, we know that the parable of the Good Samaritan actually broadens the sense of neighbour. When the the, the lawyer, the, the expert in religious law, comes to Jesus and, and tries to test him, what should I do to have eternal life? And, and Jesus says, okay, well, what do you believe the law to be? And, and he pretty much mirrors back what we've already seen Jesus saying of, yeah, throw everything you have at loving God, then love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's good. He says, but who's my neighbour? Because he was trying to set the, the net of neighbourhood really thinly so that he didn't have to actually love too many people. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and he makes it obvious that our neighbour is definitely anyone who God brings across our path. Because the Samaritan found someone who was hated by the Samaritans. This was a Jew. We hate them. And they hated each other. And yet that wasn't a barrier for that person to be loved. And to set the Samaritan up as a hero, that must have really stuck for that religious leader that was, was asking the question. So we see that. We see that neighbourhood stretches far and wide, but when we start to stretch it, stretch it so far and wide that we forget those people around about us, we are missing the point. It needs to be everyone who we encounter. Stetzer goes on to say, we do not need to sacrifice our revulsion of sin, but rather reframe how we see those caught in its power. We know the corrosive yet alluring power of sin that entangles this world, and we know the freedom and relief that come from being reconciled to the Father. We need to use that understanding to demonstrate an empathetic love to the, lo to the lost, ensuring that they know they can approach us with confidence, that they will receive the mercy and grace that was first shown to us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what we want our neighbours to experience? We know the love of Christ we know that in our own lives. Don't we want that mercy? Don't we want that grace to flood our neighbourhood for the people next door, those people who are living apart from God, those people who are living a, a lifestyle that we would say, no, that's, you're heading the wrong way? Don't we want them to experience that mercy and grace as well? Imagine taking that love to our, to our neighbours. Now, of course, this is mostly a message that I, I speak in in a lot of churches and, and this is the point where I get to and I start to brag about Luke and what he's doing um, with the neighborhood coffee isn't that a great example you see we try and make it really hard well okay do I go next door with a tract do I do what you know am I just going to turn up at the door and start preaching look at what Luke's doing for those that don't know our pastor Luke has coffee mornings every couple of weeks and just invites neighbours in. There's an intentionality of getting to know those people with an intention of being able to, to share Christ with them, but first getting to know them, to hang out with them, just as Jesus did when he hung out with people. And they said, you shouldn't be hanging out with those sorts of people. Why? They need to be reconciled back to the Father as well. Loving our neighbours as we love ourselves should create an urgency in us to tell others about Jesus. Knowing that a Christless eternity awaits for those who don't know should have us saying, what can we do? Anyone know the uh, magician's pen and teller? 
You've seen them, they do the full us and you try and trick them and everything. I don't know if you saw a video, it was quite a few years back now, but uh, one of them, uh, Penn Gillette, one half of Penn and Teller, he's actually a confirmed atheist. He does not believe in God whatsoever. And after one of his shows one night, he had uh, this guy come in backstage and, and handed him a New Testament and says, I just want to share this with you. And he had such a burden to share it with this guy who's an atheist who doesn't believe that God exists. And you would imagine that an atheist would say, well, don't do that to me. I don't even believe this God that you're talking about exists, so just get out of my way. And yet, something very different happened. Pendulette actually recorded a video, which he, he then put out on social media. And I will say that this is in his words. This is his view of it. This is his understanding. So some of the, the language might seem harsh, but this is what he said. He spoke about Christians witnessing, or as he uses the word, proselytizing. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, an atheist who think people should, shouldn't proselytise and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytise? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? He goes on and says, I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And none of this is, is made to... I mean, that comes from an atheist. So none of this message is intended to, to make you feel any guilt or, or anything. It's just a matter of saying, this is serious. How do we reach out? How do we do this in a loving way? I wonder what getting to know neighbours might look like for you. Now, this is the part where I want to talk a little bit about sunshine and what we do as a radio station uh, and a media ministry and how we reach out to people. The vision of sunshine is very clear. It is to engage the people of Western Australia with the positive message of hope in Jesus Christ. And we do that in a number of ways. In fact, I'll mention some of the ways that we do that for people that don't even live in Perth or Western Australia. Through our partner CBM, our listeners have provided thousands of eye operations for people in developing countries that gives them back the gift of sight. Uh, through our partnership with Water for Africa, another Christian organisation, just over the last couple of years, over 60,000 people in Africa have received clean, safe drinking water. Over the many years that we partnered with Samaritan's Purse and their Operation Christmas Child, over 100,000 shoeboxes were sent to various places around the world. And if you know anything about Operation Christmas Child and Samaritan's Purse, you know that the gospel also goes with that. So it's not just the kids that receive the boxes, it's their siblings, it's the family who get to hear about the love of Jesus. Our partnership with Compassion has seen many hundreds of children sponsored helping them to be released from poverty in Jesus' name and to become the Christian leaders of tomorrow in their communities. Closer to home, tens of thousands of homeless have received sleeping bags, toiletries and other items that have helped restore their dignity thanks to our annual, annual Heart for the Homeless appeal. Now, 
I need to say here, this is not to say, isn't sunshine wonderful? What I'm trying to say is, isn't God wonderful? Don't we serve a big God who chooses to use sunshine as one of the channels for which he blesses people, for which he reaches out to people? And we're offering hope. We talk about this hope that we want to share with people. And there's a difference in the way we talk about hope. Because, see, most of the world talks about hope as a wish that something might be different. So if I say, oh, I really hope that I can keep my job, it might be, hey, look, I've, I've heard some talk and, and I don't think my job is secure. If I say, oh, I hope my kids get good grades at school, sometimes... That might mean, oh, look, I I don't know that they're doing so well. And there's this kind of wishing that it might be better. If I say, I hope that the West Coast Eagles play better, that's a vain kind of wishing as well. I I do wish for that, but I I don't know that that's going to happen. So there's no certainty in the way the world uses the word hope. It's It's a wish that something might be better. I love the way John Piper speaks to this. He says, biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has moral certainty in it. When the word says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. It means to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. Are we expecting great things from God? No one? Are we expecting great things from God? Absolutely we are, because we have a hope that is certain. It is not a, I I hope that this works out to be the case, that that Jesus is my saviour. We know he is. So this hope that we talk talk about is certain, and we want others to know that certain hope as well. In a world of growing uncertainty, that's the kind of hope that we want people to hear about. Our on-air team shares the ups and downs of life, always pointing to the living hope of Jesus. Those of us who are Christ followers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when we're speaking, that comes out. So even if they're just having fun on air or talking about something more serious, we know that that comes from a Christian worldview and that is affecting people. The results speak for themselves. I want to share just a a few short testimonies with you this morning of people who have been listening to Sunshine and life has changed for them. Like this one where someone says... In December 2020, my wife passed away. We were married for 65 years. She is my other half. It's been a really hard time, for I've lost half of myself. I'm a Christian, and I regularly receive devotionals in my emails, but it's nothing like hearing the Word of God and encouragement from someone's voice. I really enjoy your short messages on Sundays. Thank you for what you do. Then there's this. I had no idea about sunshine at that time. I wasn't sure where I was in what I believed, but I bought a car and I turned on the radio, and as I drove away, sunshine was on. I don't know who had put it on. I have a sneaking suspicion. Uh, It was from a dealer, and from then on I was hooked, and you've contributed to saving my life. This. In this era of doom and gloom, I just think it's so refreshing to have a radio station that exudes joy, love, happiness, all the fruits of the Spirit. You guys have lots of fun. The messages you give are sincere and loving. I just love the way that it's presented. I'm a Christian and I just thank you for the affirmation day in and day out, especially the word. So thank you. And then there's this one. Ten years ago, I discovered sunshine late one night. I heard a song over and over for a week. 
I heard it at all different times of the day. It seemed to be on every time I tuned in. The video clip is about domestic, viol- domestic violence. It pretty much summed up what I was living. It resonated so deeply, I had the courage to end that relationship soon after. For the last 10 years, I've listened to your radio station at all different times of the day and night, and I've never heard that song played once, not once since that week 10 years ago. Profound turning moment in my life. I found God, and he is so good. Again, this is not to say, isn't sunshine wonderful? This is to say, isn't God good? When we walk in the path that he set before us, it's up to him to bring these results. I was speaking to a guy just a few months ago who said he was at a really dark place in his life. He started listening to Sunshine. He heard a message from a local Perth pastor. And what we do with those is we always end with, if you'd like to know more, and we give the website of the church. Because we want to point people to local churches. We believe that people come into fellowship with others and then they get to meet Jesus. So we're not saying, hey... We're the be-all and end-all. We're saying we need to work with local churches. So this guy heard this message and he heard the name of the pastor and the local church. He drove there the following Sunday, walked in and said, what do I do? That was several years ago. He's been following Christ ever since. And we continue to hear stories like this. And as far as sunshine goes, if you believe that there's a living hope that needs to be shared with people in your community, you can be part of what sunshine is doing. You can get involved in a number of ways by praying. We actually had a a great prayer meeting just this last Tuesday where a bunch of intercessors came in and we prayed around the building. And we prayed that God would break down strongholds that are preventing people from seeing the truth. And we spent quite some time going around to every, every part of that building praying that God would have his way. So you can pray, be part of our prayer team. You can be involved by giving financially, either a, a one-off gift or become a family partner. They're people that help us to, to know what income we have coming in because they give regularly, usually once a month, and that can be $30 a month. It might be $300 a month. Whatever you choose to give, it actually supports the, the ministry. Or if you run or manage a business, you can consider promoting your business on air. That way you're both investing in people receiving hope, uh, but you're also promoting your business through sponsorship. Or even volunteering. We're constantly looking for people who uh, want to, to give their skills. We've got everyone from those who are helping with admin tasks to people who are on air uh, to we've got a, a broadcast engineer who volunteers his time as well. So a whole range of things. Um, if, if you're interested in that, I'll just say that uh, we've got these, these flyers. There's some at the desk over there. Grab one. If you just use the QR code, you'll be able to get onto a page that gives you those options. And you can choose, this is the one that I want to go with. Can I ask you to at least grab one and at least say, yes, I'm going to pray? Because we do, as we've already deduced, expect great things from God. So let's pray that he does great things through that ministry. But can I encourage you today to ask yourself the question, who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? Ask God to show you neighbours that you can love. Ask God for opportunities to hang out with those who may lead a, a very different lifestyle to that which you live. Without fear of what other people are going to think because you know that you're there to share the love of Jesus with them. Let's take seriously this commandment to show, to, to, to throw everything we have at loving God, heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving our neighbours as we love ourselves. Let's pray. 
Father, we do want to thank you that you invite us to be a part of what you're doing. We so often fail you and mess it up, and you know that already. So we don't have to get everything right. We don't have to have everything perfect before we start inviting others into this space. Help us to be those who are looking out for those around us, whether it's someone at the supermarket, the person next door, whoever it is, that we get to know them, we get to know their name, and we get to share your love with them. Lord, help us to be thinking this week who it is that you want us to love as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.